All right, guys, we are back with a mini podcast here on the overlap. We're going to be talking about VAR today and having a nice little discussion about, you know, its pros and cons and what to look forward to and how it's going to impact the Premier League season as well. Um, We both have diametrically opposing thoughts on the technology as a whole, um, but we'll try and make it brief um, so you guys you guys can give us your own thoughts on it as well and let us know what you think. So... We're going to start off with just a brief discussion of what VAR is. Um, VAR obviously has been used in the last couple of years, um, namely in La Liga, the World Cup, Copa America, and the Champions League. And the rules of VAR are defined as follows. Um, It's limited specifically to specific types of incidents, namely goals, Penalties, straight red cards, or cases of mistaken identity. And the rules dictate that the on-field referee or the on-field official um, must make the decision based on, quote, his own perception and the information received orally from the VAR room. Now, VAR has been the source of a lot of controversy in several tournaments um, throughout the world. Um, namely, you know, the Iran-Portugal game, the World Cup, um, most recently in the Brazil-Argentina semifinal in the Copa America, um, and almost most famously for it not being available, the Bayern Munich-Real Madrid Champions League uh, quarterfinal, or excuse me, yeah, quarterfinal game, I believe it was, in 2017, um, in which Real Madrid went on to win the Champions League. So, um, with that, I... Um, Rian, tell me your thoughts on VAR. <clears throat> broken. <laughs> Absolutely broken. Look, maybe it's the rules. Maybe it's, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the technology, but um, maybe it's the referees. Maybe it's the people in the actual booth, but it's, I think it's, completely broken as is right now. I think um, overall there needs to be consistency in these calls. We saw even in the Women's World Cup that there wasn't a lot of consistency in terms of handballs and just generally like fouls, but especially the handball stuff is completely broken. Um, They've now changed the handball rule to the point where even if it's accidental, they're calling a handball. So intention has been taken completely out of handballs, and we're now going back and re-refereeing everything, right? Which really uh, takes away the emotion of the game. I now have to wait like two minutes after someone <laughs> scores a goal to know whether I should celebrate or not. And you can see it even with the players, right? Um, so the new handball rule uh, is... As follows, it said, a deliberate handball still remains an offense, but the following handball situations, even if accidental, will be a free kick. The ball goes into the goal after touching an attacking player's hand or arm. A player gains control or possession of the ball after it touches their hand or arm and then scores, creating a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, The ball touches a player's hand or arm, which has made their body unnaturally bigger. Or the ball touches a player's hand or arm when it's above their shoulder. It's the third thing there that we saw a lot of inconsistency inconsistency with in the Women's World Cup, right? Whether it's um, unnaturally making your arm bigger is 
completely subjective. That's not in a, that's not something that's like a black or white thing. Uh, we saw it in the infamous Man United PSG game where uh, a United player, Dalo, is taking a shot from 30 yards out that is going to fly over the stadium and perhaps into Scotland. <laughs> and it's, it's taken as a deflection off of uh, PSG's defender, Kimpembe, who's jumping, turning his back, his arms maybe like eight inches away from his body, and the ball nicks off his arm, and that turns into a penalty, and that knocks PSG out of the Champions League. We're going to get to a point here where... Is it, does it even matter that we have this uh, head referee on the field if we're just going to have him come look at uh, the replay and have these guys in a booth tell him basically to change it? Um, I think that they really need to take a look at what um, is done here in the U.S. with uh, the NFL and the NBA in terms of replays, right? Whatever is called on the field, it's got to be conclusive evidence in the replay for them to overturn it, right? There was too much of something where it's a subjective call and it's really close, and it almost seems like the referee's going to the video, and if it's close, he's just going to flip a coin whether it's actually going to stay right. the call on the field or not. Yeah. So um, I think an interesting thing, I don't know if they... Um, I believe they did it in Copa America where they had the actual um, conversations mic'd with the for the officials, the video referees, I think that's something they really need to look into because um, we need to know what they're saying to these referees that make them come over and look at the call, right? We need to know what they're saying before they go actually stop the game and do a review, right? Um, I, I think there's a little bit of uh, gray area there that you know we saw Argentina maybe calling for like you know some controversy in terms of. Oh well, why did they use VAR in this situation and not others? Like, why why didn't the referee look at it in some sense? So, um, I think there'll always be those questions of corruption, unless <laughs> until until you have, which, yeah. you know. Then again, it might just be comable. Yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, That's yeah, what I was right? going to say. So, uh, I think I think it all starts with um, real guidelines that all the fans know of what makes the referee have to go actually look. And what's the criteria for having him change the call? Right? I think I think we can't go back and re-referee everything. So whatever's called on the field, I think it's got to be completely obvious if we're going to change the call, especially on a goal, especially yeah. on a handball where we're if we're saying that intent doesn't matter anymore for handballs. Right. So I want to. I want to peel back a little bit and talk about specific parts of what you're talking about, which I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with parts of it, but let's take a look at VAR as what it's offered football as a whole, right? It's a technology that allows you to visually replay what happened on one of these four incidents or multiple of these four incidents, right? The idea and the concept, I think, are extremely positive for the game, right? The idea that a referee who may have entirely gotten a game or a call wrong, you know, a good example that I like to use for people is um, the the Real Madrid-Bayern game um, in the Champions League in 2017 or uh, the Barcelona-Real Betis uh, league game in um, 
I think it was two years ago or a year ago now, um, in which the ball totally crossed the line, um, but it was not visually apparent to the referee. The concept is that a referee is able to look at that call again, kind of like what you're talking about in the NBA and American sports and things like that. The problem itself doesn't necessarily arrive with the concept as a whole or the technology not being you know, accurate enough or um, visually clear enough or anything like that. It's with solely the guidelines, right? And it's how they're implemented and how they're understood. The guidelines that have been given to us, especially when it comes to the handball rule, are, like you said, so subjective that it doesn't allow for any consistency across leagues, across games, across within games. So the problem itself isn't necessarily with VAR as it should be on paper, per se, but rather the implementation is definitely broken. Um, The one thing that I think that I would like to see at least begin uh, to change is the communication with the people in the stadium around VAR calls and when and why they're being um, being made. Because my understanding of VAR is that the officials in the VAR room, through a microphone, will tell the on-field referee that you need to look at a specific incident. They won't say you need to change a call, is my understanding, but they will say you should take a look at this incident and determine whether or not it was actually the correct call. Which, when you think about a process, right, it's just double-checking. It's not anything beyond that. Um, And I think that that seems like a great process on paper, and I wouldn't change that, right? But then the issue of consistency arrives, and I think the perfect example is is the PSG United penalty call, right? Where Kimbepe raises his his elbow, you know, what is the appropriate amount to determine, you know, whether or not it's actually... I'm going to have to take out a protractor now and and, (laughs) and put it up to the screen and see if my my guy's arm is far away. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, right? Like, what, what is the appropriate amount for what is a natural body movement? Then you start getting into, you know, the very, very specifics of the rules, which I think VAR was not... You know, intended to become. It was not intended to become a scrutinizing method for understanding what is appropriate or not in the game, the laws of the game. It was solely meant to be a check on the actual on-field call in which referees aren't always able to make the correct calls. The first step that I think that VAR officials, um, either within UEFA or within specific leagues, need to take is implementing a rule around VAR, determining some sort of limit, whether it's a time limit or some sort of understanding in which they say to a referee, if you cannot make a conclusive call that either changes the call or does not confirm the call that you made on the field, you must go back and confirm that call and leave it. Because anything, like we talk about how things in slow motion look so different, right? And I have very rarely seen a live motion replay through VAR on TV. I don't know whether it's you know seen differently, right. but usually you see the same thing on TV that the, the, the VAR booth is looking at or the referee is looking at. And it just blows my mind that there is no you know rule or limit that says 
if a referee can't see anything, yeah, there, there's nothing. Like, that's it. Like, there's nothing more to it. Um, instead of spending five minutes looking at, like, one call. Which I get if you come to the correct conclusion, yeah. but half the time you are not coming to the correct conclusion. And I think that's the biggest problem. I don't think the technology is at fault. I think the implementation of the technology is, is the biggest fault. I agree. I, I, think, I think, obviously, I think it's more implementation than anything, for sure. Um, I don't know. If we saw the Women's World Cup. It, it was used... Way, way, way too much, especially in the group stage. And then for the first few knockout rounds, they use it very little. So that was obviously some sort of pullback there. I think they need to get, you know, with time, that'll get better. They'll, that'll be more correct. But I think I'm almost ready to, at times, not use it for offsides. Like, it's, it's, so, Give me your thoughts on this. Should you be called offsides? And I realize that the the rule is, you know, anything that you can score with that's not your hands, whatever. Yeah. Should you be called offside if your shoulder is offside yeah. by two inches? Which is how uh, in the women's, in the uh, U.S. women's game against England, um, Jill Scott was about to, or um, Jill, Jill Scott, so, I think, was about to... Not Jill Hutz. No, 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 no. Or sorry, Ellen White is the name. Ellen White was about to score a goal to tie it up at two-two, and she actually did score. They let it go on, and then they go back and they look, and her shoulder is offside. (laughs) Just her shoulder is offside. Right. Um, I'm almost to the point where I think should we revisit the offside rule? I'm even to the point where should your toe being offside be an offside call because now I think when we go back and look at VAR, like that's almost a bailout of a defender who's leaving space in between them or, you know, a horrible like setup on the defensive line. If half of my foot is offside or my shoulder is offside and now we're taking a goal off. Yeah. I, I think that if it's close, I really think that if things are close, we should just leave them. Oh, honesty. I, I I don't even think we should have the referee come back and look at that. You know, I, I think I think we're taking emotion and and I as someone who's like a really big advocate for VAR, I almost think now because of the sport is so much about just a constant motion and if we're gonna stop it like four to five times a game then we're losing we're losing a bit of what actually makes the sport great. So, yeah. Well, here, okay. So here's the thing with the offside rule. A part of me is like I, I get what you're saying in that if it's really close, like if if my toe was offside, you're really gonna dock me like a goal in a final yeah. of like the World Cup for something like that, right? Like that doesn't inherently make sense. And a part of me is like, yeah, why don't you just say that if it's close or very very close, then Right. Then it's like you can kind of pass. Right. The problem that I have with that is the same problem that we have with the handball rule. Right. When you raise your elbow a certain amount, at what point does it become an unnatural motion or an unnatural position to have your arm in? In the same way that you make like anyone makes that argument, the same thing can be applied to something like an offside rule. At what point is too much of your body far enough 
to dictate something that is too not too close. You know what I mean? It's a, it's the same issue, and the re, I think the reason why the offside rule exists in that no, I mean I, I think generally the rule is that no, um, you know, ball playing part of your body needs or it can be offside um, or past the last defender in any way, um, excluding arms, excluding you know. Well, that's it, <laughs> really, excluding your arms. Um, and I think that's a good rule to have because you have a metric for it. You have you have a specific body part that you can say, if this is at a certain point in the field, it's offside. If it's not, then it's onside. And I get that it's critical. Or it's very, very critical of attacking players and that, come on, this is like a shoulder is – you can argue whether or not a shoulder is like a part of your body that you can play the ball with. Like a lot of people have that argument alone. But I think it's good to have a metric where you at least say parts of your body can or cannot be considered offside as a general rule. Whether you change that, that's a totally different conversation. But I think that metric should stay around. Right. My thing with that is that the offside rule originally was created to make sure that those attacking players can't be like a few feet offside. You can't, that you can't that you is originally to make sure that they come back onside before the ball is played forward um, past the defenders and stuff, right? Like, now, if we're looking at it to such small margins, it feels like it feels like we're really just bailing out defenders. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, no, I get that. I get it, that. It, it's really like now the rule, now the intent, the original intent of the rule is now been funneled down into just small margins like that. Right? Yeah. It, it, it feels like we're giving the benefit of the doubt to defenders. Where I think we should all, I think we should be giving the benefit of the doubt to attackers. But obviously, if your f- whole foot is offside, I think yes, you should. We're calling that right, right. But, but well, then I, I would ask you the same question. Right? Like, if, if you're saying your whole foot is offside, right, versus like a toe, wh- where's the where's the line? Right? I, I, the I think the line should be entire foot, entire foot, entire leg. Oh, if I if I could change it, I would make it nothing above your. First of all, nothing above your waist should be considered offside. Like even oh, so you can. So you're saying you could lean your head, you can lean your chest. Yeah. You can, okay. Yeah. I think I think you should be. I think you should be able. Because, so you're so, because let's think about it. Like every one of these offside calls are always someone running onto it, right? Sure. It's not. It's not like it's not like they're. It's not like I'm gonna stand there on the on the line. And lean my head out and just wait for the ball to get crossed and just head it in, right? I'm always running <laughs> yeah. towards it. I'm not, right, I'm not just right, standing right. there stationary. Right. So you're saying, right, like, well, when you run, obviously your foot is one of the last things that crosses the lo- the invisible line between, you know, you where you can be and the defender. So essentially your whole body can be behind the defender minus just the feet, sure, right? So, yeah. you, so you're saying it should solely be about the very, very lower part of your body because that's generally what you're operating with and yeah, that's what you're going to be actually using to score, et cetera. Exactly. Like, like you're, not, you're not scoring with your head unless it's an emergency, right? But that's not... Like, <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't well, necessarily agree fair, with that. Fair, fair, fair. But, like, you're, you're definitely not scoring with your shoulder unless it's an emergency. Sure, sure. <laughs> right? like, yeah. I, I, I think... I mean, a vast majority of the offside calls are, are always someone running in behind and not necessarily... For someone coming back, like uh, if you're coming, if you're not coming back on side, then that's really what the rule is for. It's not necessarily for you being able to um, 
just get your shoulder ahead of the defender. Right. There, right. Right. That's, no. Yeah. No. That's that's a fair point. I I just think that you might run into the same problems in consistency when it comes to creating a metric that referees need to abide by. I get that like anyone would try to remove any level of subjectivity from the conversation. Um, but an element of that is always going to exist when it comes to handballs, when it comes to even offside calls, even though you can very clearly see when someone isn't, is not offside, there's always going to be a level of subjectivity and it sucks. Um, but the the two things that I would do, like I talked about, number one is implementing it some sort of limit that referees need where they have to come to a conclusion. Um, or uh, two, <laughs> referees need to be on the same page somehow, right? Like the rules are generally very clear. I know they're not always consistent across leagues and across competitions. Um, but something like a handball call needs to be consistent across all competitions. It it really does. And the problem is, like, one referee looking at a call versus... uh, One referee versus another referee looking at the same call coming to different conclusions. And that should almost never happen. Like I said, I get that subjectivity will always be a problem, but there needs to be some way of limiting how much subjectivity is an element of this, these VAR calls. Because like I said, like I love the technology, but I understand what you're saying with it being implemented the way it is. Yeah, it, and to that handball consistency, a week or two ago, the uh, head of the Premier League officials came out and said, because after all the controversy that was happening in the Women's World Cup, he basically said that, yeah, we're going to keep calling handball how we call it, pretty much. In the, in the Premier League. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's going to be a big problem when those <laughs> Premier League teams go and play in the Champions League, right? Right, right. So there's going to be an inconsistency there. Um, I don't know. There's 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 a lot that still needs to be done at, um, in terms of, like you said, getting people on the same page. And I think this is going to be a really, really rocky first season. In the, Premier in the Premier League. Well, I was going to add, my yeah. next question was going to be, what do you think are going to be the effects on the Premier League of VAR? Like, do you think that will change the way teams play or will not be I don't, that significant? No, I don't, I don't think it'll change the way teams play. Um, especially, that, that's my biggest problem with the handball thing. I don't, I don't want to see players now trying to kick a ball into someone's hand. Right, And yeah, now yeah, we're going to yeah, call sure, that every time. Sure, that's, yeah. that's my problem with it. Um, I think, like, overall, like, the big question is, do we need VAR for subject, subjective calls? Um, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure we do. I'm not sure we need it for handball, in all honesty. I, I think I think handball should be something that is obvious to tell in the moment. Like, And if you can't tell it in the moment, then... Well, I don't, okay, so that, that's where I disagree with you. I think that there are a lot of handball calls that referees do not have themselves in prime positions to actually see where the ball hit or made contact with the hand or what part of the hand, what part of the arm, etc. And I think that's a perfect way for VAR to actually be used. It's just the problem is the way it's used is that you look and it's like which millimeter of the ball hit which, you know, nail, you know, which part of the nail. Um, Or even, you know, arm extension, things like that. Like that, that's a problem. The way that the rules are written are a problem. But the ability for a referee to double check his own decision 
in theory, it should be it should fine. Work out. It should work out. Right, yeah. right. But I, I, I maintain that the the ability for a referee to do that should always stick around now that it's here. Um, but it, it just the methodology needs to be worked around. Yeah, I, I think I think the referee needs to rarely actually go to video replay as I, rarely as possible. Yes, sure, I yeah. think I think those fourth officials have to be. They have to be really sure that it's that they think he's going to change it for them to to even bring it up. Oh, honestly, right, right, right. Like, like they have to look at it and they have to think that it's that it'll that is conclusive evidence to overturn it, and then tell him, "Hey, you should look at this and have him make the final decision there." Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think and I think there needs to be more communication in terms of what. Um, especially what the fans are seeing at the actual stadium. Yeah, that's going to be huge in the. Pro- right. I think that's going to be the number one impact. Is like how will fans react to VAR calls being made in the moment? Yeah. Right. Usually, I think the only thing that I've seen in stadiums is that on some of the screens they'll put up like VAR review yeah. penalty, and they won't even like show the review. It'll just say VAR review, yeah. and you're like, "Great, can I see what just happened?" Because yeah. I can't replay in my head yeah. all the time. And I think fans in England are. Even more demanding sometimes than right. fa- other fans around the world, so I don't think it's going to go over lightly if they can't understand what's going on in that moment, the heat of the moment, the motion of the game, like you talked about. So I think that that's going to be critical for the Premier League to figure out how they're going to communicate with the people that are watching, um, both on TV and, and in person. Yeah. So I, do, I just don't want to see the emotion completely taken. Like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to keep. Looking, I don't want players to come score a goal and then they're all just like looking around. Yeah, like, no, no, <laughs> I hope that do. was a goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope my toe wasn't all side. Yeah, no, I, I yeah. get that. Or, you know, it's 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 a really fine line um, in a sport that is not made for stoppages. That's that's yeah, really, that's yeah. really the the thing there. Yeah. Well. Two differing sides on a very important discussion um, and hopefully decisions in the coming future that need to be made both by the Premier League and you know La Liga, other clubs and other leagues around the world as well as competitions. Um, so we are hopeful that these changes that we talked about will be made, um, but cautiously optimistic at the same time. Um, we'd love to hear what you guys think. Let us know um, in the comments as well, um, and we'll definitely give those a read. So yeah. look out. VAR is coming to the Premier League. Exactly. Look out, and Premier I'm League. I fully accepted that I'm going to end up breaking something in my apartment <laughs> this year because of VAR. And I'm just, I've just come to terms with it. I've, it is who I am now. <laughs> I, on the other hand, will definitely be breaking things in my apartment um, because Mateo Lajos is still a referee in La Liga and refuses to use VAR properly, and that will always be the case because he's a Real Madrid fan. But regardless, that's none of my business. Um, but with that, look out for our upcoming podcast, reviewing some of the things that have been happening in the Premier League um, in the next couple of weeks, as well as La Liga. So we'll see you guys soon. Mm-hmm.